0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Coming up on today's show, we'll look back at the night on the ice and the NBA hardwood as playoff action continues. Could the Bucks make it a series against the Nets? Could the Golden Knights send the President's Trophy winners packing? Could we see the college football playoff expand and in a big way? A legendary college football coach is being accused of looking the other way in a very serious matter. And today is Friday, which means my main man Joe Schuda has another Rush Friday feature as he talks with Altoona Curve General Manager Derek Martin. They cover a bunch of topics, including how difficult it was as a minor league team To not have a season last year. Because remember, minor league baseball was shut down because of the pandemic. And how the curve and other minor league teams are bouncing back this year. It's good stuff that'll come up in the uh, 7 o'clock hour. All that stuff and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off. Another essential work day, wrapping up another essential work week. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Uh, getting involved is encouraged. Check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush, my Twitter page at Rush Tony C. Admittedly, I can't remember the last time I tweeted anything. I have been neglecting the socials. But check out the pages anyway, because you never know what could happen. Our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio, all those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, get involved, send me a message, you got a question, got a topic you want to talk about, a comment, an opinion. Jump on the internet, the interwebs, and get involved. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this Funky Friday. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show we do here every day. Take out all the commercials. So if you missed anything, any part of the show, of any show, except for one, which I can't remember what day it was, but it was a technical issue, I couldn't record the show in like one out of, I don't know, hundreds. It's all right there in the podcast page. All right, a lot to get to before we get into the NBA playoff action uh, from last night. What do you say we rock around the region? And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Dodgers, Julio Urias, beat the Pirates on the mound and at the plate. And he swings and he lines it into right center field, a base hit.
2: Bellinger comes in to score. Right behind him is Lux, and the Dodgers lead it four to one on a two-out, two-run base hit by Julio Urias. RBIs six and seven for the Dodger pitcher.
1: The call on ESPN 570 LA Sports, 6-3 the final. As the Dodgers completed the three-game sweep at PNC Park, Urias allowed three runs on six hits in six innings to become the first nine-game winner in the bigs this season. Mitch Keller was just the opposite. He lasted just two and two-thirds innings, had zero control, He walked three and hit two batters. His ERA is now a robust uh, 7.04. Good news for the Pirates. Uh, Adam Frazier extended his hit streak, uh, streak is the proper word, to 13 games. Hit streak. Hit streak. There's an S in there. Hit streak to 13 games. Uh, since getting over 500 at 12 and 11 in late April, the Bucks have gone 11 and 27, and are, and are now 15 games under 500 and 11 games out of first place. Elsewhere, the opening game of the four-game series between the Giants and the Nationals in DC, postponed by rain, it will be made up as part of a doubleheader tomorrow. And the Orioles were off yesterday. Uh, They'll open a three game series at AL East, leading Tampa Bay tonight. In high school tennis, Allegheny's Jonathan Nelson and Mountain Ridge's Rachel Jones won the Boys and Girls 1A West section titles yesterday. I do believe those matches played uh, at the Ridge. Uh, Jones beat Allegheny's Sophia Kucher 6 2 and 6 2 in the girls' final. Fort Hill's Abby Mandel and Kelly Mandel won the girls' doubles title. Nelson beat Fort Hill's Connor Nichols in the boys' finals 6-1 and 6-2. Mountain Ridge's Joey Oyer and Jacob Ritchie won the boys' doubles title. Mountain Ridge's Maddie Werner and Connor Lewis won the mixed doubles crown. All of those winners advanced to the 1A West region finals tomorrow at Boonesboro. In college baseball, a pair of Potomac State players earned NJCAA All-America honors. Infielder Graham Brown was named to the All-American third team, while pitcher Brandon Schaefer received honorable mention. And in high school track and field, the West Virginia State track meets underway in Charleston. A Class A already wrapped up. The Williamstown girls and Doddridge County boys won the Class A team state titles yesterday. There were a few double-A uh, events yesterday, or last night as a matter of fact. In the boys' 3,200-meter run, uh, Frankfurt's Garrett Ferguson, just a sophomore, finished third. Uh, Fairmont Senior's uh, Logan Zucchelli is having trouble this morning. It's a Friday. Uh, he won the meet where the race. Uh, Winfield's Matthew Schneckenberg was second, and Garrett was third. Frankfurt's Anthony Sanders, sixth in the race, and Xander Shoemake was 10th. In the girls' AA 3200, Frankfurt's Addie Lease finished eighth in that race. Uh, Brooke Jacobs, 11th. Jillian Griffith was 12th. In the boys' 400-meter dash, Kaiser's Jack Stanislasik finished second, just behind... Uh, Pike View's Logan Keaton.
3: Uh,
1: Kaiser's Seth Ernest finished fifth. Oh, no, I'm sorry. There's a... Uh, I take it back. There are there are actually three sections in that race. Kaiser's Seth Ernest finished first in Section 2. Stanislavski finished second in the, the Section 1 race. And in the girls 400, I'm trying to see here, anybody uh, Frankfurt's uh, Haley Smith was fifth in the Section 2 race. So there you go. The majority of the A uh, events will take place today. I guess uh, yesterday was an absolute monsoon down at Lely Field in Charleston. <laughs> it was just pouring buckets. I saw some pictures on the Book of Faces, and it was just, it was a deluge. Everybody had to run for cover. I saw pictures, like in the concourse, there's, there's massive puddles of water everywhere, but the thing about track and field, if it's not lightning, they're running. They're running, they're jumping, they're doing their thing, rain or shine. Hopefully, they'll have a better weather uh, for today's action. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Rally Group. Gotta admit, I'm hurting today. Just, <laughs> just a little bit. Mentioned yesterday, in case you missed it, uh, I said... Like if you ever want to know how much work you really need done on your house, throw a party, all right? Throw a party, not just like like one or two people, like a party party, because uh, my son's graduation party is tomorrow. And oh, speaking of which, speaking of which, uh, lest I forget, I want to take the opportunity right now, even though he is down at the state track meet, to wish my son a happy eighteen. 18- I can't believe it, eight birthday today. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, little C! A Happy birthday to you. 18. It just seems impossible to believe. Anyway, uh, so I guess we're throwing his uh, graduation slash birthday party tomorrow, which of course, anytime you throw a party, there's a lot of work to be done, right? You, you want the house to be uh, presentable for your guest. And then you realize just how much you've let things go (laughs) in your house. I spent hours upon hours yesterday in the yard alone. Just because, you know, it's supposed to be nice tomorrow, thankfully. So we're going to spend most of the time outside, right? Playing some games, some cornhole, whatnot. You know, sitting around, doing whatever. So you have to get the yard in shape. And I bet you I was outside for about six hours. Straight. A couple water breaks. You know, cutting. Trimming. Setting up a, a, a pop-up on the deck for shade. Uh, cutting back the borsches. There's all kinds of stuff. By the time I was done, I, I go in the house, I get a shower. And I, I sit down in in my favorite chair. And I was absolutely, I was in pain. I was literally in pain. Feet were throbbing. Legs. Got the back. Now I got I got a little hitch here in the, the right hip region. I told my wife, I said, I should not feel this bad after doing yard work. I felt terrible. I couldn't wait to go to bed. Could not wait to go to bed. Just to just to lay out. So today I'm sore. I'm a little uncomfortable uh, in the leg and, and feet region. Got to do something, man. I got I to do something. I, got, I have to understand, for one thing, that I'm no longer a spring chicken. I'm 50. So even, and this is a message, a warning for you youngsters out there, as you get older, even the simplest tasks take a while to recover. You know, so I have to keep on reminding myself, dude, you're 50. All right? This is going to happen. And it's only going to get worse. But I can, st- I can still do something to alleviate the pain of doing You also burned yesterday too, by the way. That's, you know, that's always fun. Got to do something. I, I got to get back in shape. I can't, I can't feel that bad after just cutting the lawn. It's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, let's get things started here. Two games on tap last night in the NBA playoffs. In Milwaukee, the Bucks. We're trying to bounce back from that 39-point beatdown they got from the Nets in Game 2 if the Bucs lost last night. They would fall behind in the series 3 which it would have meant the series it would have been all but over because no team has ever come back from an 0-3 hole to win the series. So to say that last night's game was a must-win for Milwaukee would be an understatement. But they were at home. The crowd was insane. The Nets still didn't have James Harden, and the Bucks came out on
2: fire. Brooklyn off to a horrid start here to Game 3. Four for 20, and Middleton buries another triple. 28-9, Milwaukee. They have flipped the script on the Nets here in Game 3.
1: Mark Kessisher, the call on ESPN Radio. You heard him, 28-9. Milwaukee trying to return the beatdown favor from Game 2 held a 30-11 lead at the end of the first quarter. Giannis and Chris Middleton scored all of the points for the Bucs in the first quarter, which would be a theme for the night because nobody else got going for the Bucs last night. Nobody. Nobody else scored in double figures except for Giannis and Middleton, which is why Brooklyn was able to trim that 19-point deficit down to three At the half, as they outscored the Bucs 31-15 in the second quarter. And in the third quarter, Nets just kept on coming. But
2: Kyrie keeps, flips to Brown, outside Harris. Up top, Durant, contested three, is good. We're tied at 57. Again, the Nets have a chance for their first lead of game three. It's Durant at the top against Giannis. Gets by him. Passes to Brown. Ten-footer's good, and Brooklyn's come all the way back to take the lead with a minute to go
1: here in the third. So the Nets come back, take the lead. After that, it was just back and forth. The Bucks came back, go up by two, heading into the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter was back and forth, back and forth. Big buckets by uh, Kevin Durant. Big bucket by Giannis. Back and forth. Until finally, the Nets had a one-point lead, 83-82, and they had the ball.
2: Kyrie feeds Brown, floater in the lane, short. Giannis rips down the board, 19 seconds to go. Shot clock is off, down one. Season might be on the brink. Spinning move, Holiday scores for the lead with 11 seconds to go. Timeout, Brooklyn.
1: Drew Holiday, who scored just nine points in the game, none bigger than that layup, with 11.4 seconds left to make it 84-83. A couple of free throws put the Bucks up by three, but the Nets still had one last chance to send the game into overtime. The ball in the hands of their best player.
2: 2.1 seconds to go. Here comes the trigger. Griffin looking, looking, down three into Durant. Durant with one dribble, gets off a three and missed it at the horn. The Milwaukee Bucks blow a 21-point lead. But hang on and rally. And they're in the series. Final score: Bucks 86, Brooklyn 83.
1: That's right. 86-83, the final. A 1990-style game broke out last night. 86-83. A game that set basketball back about 30 years. For the Nets, it was their lowest scoring output of the season. For the Bucks, it was their lowest output since. Well, game two, when they lost by 39, it's not very often you score 86 points in back-to-back games, and you end up 1-1. One one. But, hey, the Bucks will take it, right? A win is a win is a win, especially when you're trying to get back into the series. To put a cap on the game, the guys who called it on ESPN Radio, Mark Kessler and John Barry.
2: The Milwaukee Bucks score 86 points for the second straight game, but somehow, JB, they're on the winning <laughs> side on this one. Despite jumping out to a 30-9 to 9 lead in this one, uh, they gave that lead entirely up and had to hang on. Drew Holiday had a big basket, and Giannis and Middleton went for 68 points tonight.
4: Yeah, you know, it, they, they were terrific in that first quarter, and it was exactly what Steve Nash told us before the game, is they were going to be more physical, and they were going to go right at us in the paint, and that's exactly what they did. Giannis uh, was terrific on the interior. Middleton got some easy looks. Uh, And the two of them had 15 apiece in that first quarter. They were the only ones that scored. Uh, And and they led 30 to 11. And then the second quarter completely got away from that, got three happy, didn't make any, and just played one-on-one basketball. They had 12 assists on the night. Fortunately, uh, I thought Brooklyn played equally as poor offensively. Uh, They had 15 assists, but it was all one-on-one basketball as well. Uh, fortunate uh, to say the least. I mean, Kevin Durant, you don't see go 11 for 28 very often. Joe Harris, one of 11, just one of seven from three, one of the best three-point shooters we have in our game. Kyrie was just 9 of 22. Uh, Fortunate, but uh, as we talked about in the broadcast, you asked, does Milwaukee gain confidence from this? I I really don't think so. Uh, Again, 86 points again. You are extremely fortunate to walk out of here and keep your season alive.
2: Giannis and Middleton team for 68 of Milwaukee's 86 points. They're on the board in the series. They beat Brooklyn 86-83. Nets still lead two games to one. Game four Sunday afternoon on ESPN Radio and on ABC.
1: This is just how terrible the game was. Milwaukee shot 37.8% from the floor. The Nets were actually worse than that. They were 36.2% from the... Both teams made 34 field goals. All right? The Nets actually made two more three-pointers. The difference was at the foul line. The Bucs were 12 of 19. The Nets were 7 of 8. That's a five-point difference from the foul line in a three-point game. The Bucs were 6 of 31 from three point range. That's 19%. The nets were 8 of 32, that's 25%. That's horrible. But the Bucks find a way to win. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving combined to shoot 20 of 50. They combined to miss 30 shots. And if you ever wanted to point to a game where they missed James Harden, last night was it. Didn't miss him in game two, obviously. Last night they could have used him. Middleton ended up with 35 for the Bucks after he combined to shoot 13 of 43 in the first two games of the series. Giannis had 33. As I mentioned, Drew Holiday had nine. He did have five assists. Again, not pretty, but you take it. Here's Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer. Yeah,
4: no, I thought there was just a lot of good, you know, competitive stuff. You know, guys fighting, getting through screens, contesting. You know, Brooke, particularly in the second half, protecting the rim, um, getting blocked shots. Um, you know, it just took everybody. Um, you know, any way to get a stop uh, is what we needed to do. And, um, you know, a lot of guys individually, the group together, uh, just found a way to get enough stops.
1: And, you know, we talked about it yesterday that Budenholzer was pretty much coaching for his job this series. If the Bucs would get swept or or maybe even lose in five games, that he was pretty much done. Uh, Gabe Neitzel of ESPN Milwaukee was on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night. And he said the Game 3 win really didn't do much to change that. His job is 100% on the line. and. You know, if if they lose
5: tonight, you know nobody's ever overcome the three zero series in the NBA, right. and you can just you know everybody's assuming that that Budenholzer is going to start packing his bags. Now you're able to save it, but there there's still work to be done. They've got yeah. to you know offensively, they have to get more of a flow. They can't settle for this isolation basketball that they've been playing so often in this series. And if Budenholzer doesn't fix that, well then tonight was nice, and tonight was. You know, a lot of fun at Fiserv Forum having that crowd back, but ultimately it's just not going to matter for the future of, of Mike Boone and for the future of the
1: Bucks 2021 playoffs. And finally, we'll hear from Kevin Durant, who I told you, uh, KD and Kyrie combined to shoot 20 of 50. Durant did have 30 points and 11 rebounds. Yeah, I mean, I like how we defended all game. I like how we, uh, you know, we rebounded all game. You know, we didn't let... Uh, our missed shots dictate our defense, especially when we got down big and we when we tied the game up. We couldn't score for a few possessions, um, like four or five minutes to go. And I, I mean, I think we got good looks, couple that were open that we missed, um, but that's part of the game. I just I just like how we stay with it, and that's what we want to continue to have to continue to do in this series: is stay with the game, stay with our plans, stay with you know each other individually if guys missing shots, and then we still encouraging one another in. You know, keep playing. So our defense has to be there no matter what. Durant scored the final nine points of the game for the Nets. But the Bucks scored the final six to get the win and get back in the series. You heard uh, them say it earlier game four, Sunday. But you got to love the two days off between games for whatever reason. When there's no travel involved, I still don't get it. But the Bucs, hey, chance to tie it up at home on Sunday. Now, if they lose Sunday, the series is over. But, and we always talk about it, a series and a series, so somebody loses at home. So Milwaukee a chance to hold serve at home and tie this series up on Sunday. The other game last night out west, the top seeded Jazz hosted the Clippers for game two of their series. Utah trying to take a 2-0 series lead, and things look pretty good early thanks to Donovan Mitchell.
4: Donovan gets a switch with Morris, six on the clock.
1: Pulls back for a 32-foot-three, and it's good. good. Are you kidding me? 27 for Donovan Mitchell. The call on 97-5, the zone. Mitchell had 27 in the first half. Most by a Utah player in the last 25 years. Uh, Jazz led by 13 at the break. Led 93-86 at the end of the third when the Clippers made a furious push in the fourth thanks to Mr. June, Reggie Jackson. Beverly extra pass, Jackson tees up a left wing three
4: and knocks it down, Reggie Jackson. Another big shot for the Clippers in the second half. He's got 24 and the Clippers are within one. Beverly knocks away from Mitchell, a steal for Jackson. On the left wing, he'll take another three for the lead. He got another
1: one. First lead of the game for the Clippers, Reggie Jackson. The call on uh, AM570 LA Sports, those back-to-back threes by Jackson, gave LA its first lead of the game, 101-99. But the Jazz then forced nine straight Clippers misses and went on a 14-2 run to take control of Of the game.
2: Back to Joe, comes off a right hand, finds Rudy on the roll, goes to the rack, and dunked it, plus the foul. Rudy Gobert with a fabulous move at the rim, double clutching, bouncing off contact, and
1: throwing it in the cylinder. Ingles, wide open, right side, three, tickles the twine. They left Joe Ingles wide open. He hits the three, and you cannot hear me. You never leave Joe Ingles open. That three ball by Ingles capped the 14-2 run to make it 113-103. Jazz went on to win 117-111 to take a 2-0 series lead. Mitchell ended up with 37 points. He is the first Jazz player with at least 35 points in back-to-back playoff games since Carl Malone in 1988. Jordan Clarkson had 24, Ingles had 19, Rudy Gobert, the newly minted uh, defensive player of the year, had 13 points and a career high 20 rebounds. After the game, uh, Utah head coach Quinn Snyder.
0: H- having an identity is something that you, you, you create an identity by doing something over and over and over again. Um, you know, and that takes time. And then when you get in these types of environments, um, when there's a team that's as good as the Clippers are trying to take stuff away from you. That, that's even more difficult. So I'm, I'm proud of our team, the way we played. Um, we know we're playing against the team. They were down 0-2 in their last series and, and came back and won it. So don't get too high, don't get too low, and um, keep trying to play, in the, play the way that, that we know we have to
1: play and adjust where we need to. But I think our guys are together. Jackson led the Clips with 29, Paul George, Had 27. Kawhi had 21. Series switches to L.A. for game three tomorrow as the Clippers try to dig out of an 0-2 hole for the second straight series. All right, time for a break. When we come back, there was one game last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Could the Avalanche force a seventh and decisive game against the Golden Knights? I'll tell you about it next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: There was one game in the Stanley Cup playoffs last night. Game six between the Golden Knights and the Avalanche. That game was in Vegas. The Knights trying to close out the President Trophy winner, which, in case you don't know, if you don't follow hockey, it goes to the team with the most points in the regular season, and that was Colorado. Avalanche won the first two games of the series. Golden Knights won the next three. And last night, I'm telling you, and I texted a few of my boys as I was watching the game, you got to add, I have to add, seeing a hockey game in Vegas to my bucket list. Like that, and I may have mentioned this yesterday. You talk about the show they put on before the game starts that gets that Vegas crowd into just an absolute frenzy. There's just nothing like it. Nothing like it. Not just in hockey, but probably any professional sport. The atmosphere for a Vegas Golden Knights hockey game is off the charts. I, I, that's got to be on a bucket list to go see a hockey game in Vegas. As I've mentioned a couple times already, I'm rooting for Vegas since the Penguins are out because you know Mark Andre Flory is in goal and he played a part, a big part, especially in the third period last night. And the game itself was absolutely just bonkers. Just the pace of play. Colorado scored 23 seconds into the game. That crowd that was whipped into such a frenzy went completely dead silent. 23 seconds into the game. The abs are up 1-0. But they were whipped back into a frenzy when Vegas scored like 30 seconds later. Two goals within like the first minute of the game. And then it went back and forth from there. Vegas was up 2-1, then it was tied 2-2. Vegas is up 3-2, and then in the second period, it was tied 3-3. And it stayed that way until late. Uh, in the second period. Namath off the near glass, can't clear the
2: zone. Bounces around toward the high slot. That's ready, and now tuck shoots wide. Rebound, score! Petrangelo!
1: The call on Fox Sports ninety eight nine. Alex Pet- uh, Petrangelo. I got to get his name right. He was the hero last night. Alex Petrangelo. His first goal of the playoffs, put uh, the Golden Knights on top four, three again, late in the second period. The Knights tacked on two more goals in the fourth period, and after that, it was all over but the singing. Five seconds to go. Right-wing shot blocked by Holden. Two, one, it's over. Vegas wins the series.
2: Six to three, the final score in game six. The Knights knock out the
1: avalanche with four straight wins. And that's all she wrote. Six three, the final Golden Knights move on. They were the final team to move to the final four. They will take on the Canadiens in the one Stanley Cup semifinal. The other one, of course, Tampa Bay versus the Islanders, a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference final. And Colorado was just on a roll heading into this series. They swept their first-round series, won the first two games of this series, and then they lost four straight. Barry Melrose. What happened?
2: Two teams after the second game, they went in different directions. Vegas got bigger, better, stronger, faster, kept going, and won the rest of the uh, series straight. Uh, Colorado just never got going. That really shook them. As I said, game five, they blew a two-goal lead, something that they don't do, and they never recovered, uh, even going into tonight's game. So Vegas, Colorado, two of the best teams in the NHL. Only one's going on, and definitely Vegas is
1: a better team. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury stopped 30 shots, 11 in the third period after the Knights went up four to three. And he now, uh, what is it here? I want to get this right. I saw it, and I got to find it again. With that win last night, he moved, I think, into sole possession of is it fourth place? Here it is. Here he stopped 30 shots. He is now in sole possession of fourth place. He passed Islanders' great Billy Smith. He is now 4th place all time with 89 playoff wins. Of course, most of those coming uh, with Pittsburgh. And for Colorado, they are the 8th straight President's Trophy winner to bow out of the playoffs without making it to the Stanley Cup Final. How about that? And of course, as we've talked about before, a lot of those 8 were the Capitals. Like how many times did the Capitals win the President's Trophy, then flame out and not even get to the final. So just because you finish with the best record, you're not guaranteed anything. Eighth straight team with the best record in hockey to not not only not win the Cup, but not even make it to the final. Which is why I said yesterday, proof positive right there, winning the Stanley Cup is the hardest thing to do in professional sports. It's harder than winning the Super Bowl, it's harder than winning the World Series. And it's most certainly harder than winning the NBA championship. Because in the NBA, you have like four teams that could actually win every year. Nothing is harder in pro sports than winning the Stanley Cup. And that's proof, right, Derek? The Avs, best team in a regular season, Dunsky, Couldn't even get out of the second round. Vegas moves on again to face Montreal in the Stanley Cup semifinal. All right, uh, time for another break, and then we'll come back to uh, wrap up our number one. And, of course, later in the show, Joe Shuda, a Rush Friday feature, as he talks with Altoona Curve General Manager Derek Martin. That comes up in the 7 o'clock hour. All right, stick around. More of the Rush here on WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Tony C in the big chair, as always. Glad to have you on board. Reminder coming up next hour, Joe Shooter will have our Rush Friday feature as he talks with Altoona Curve General Manager Derek Martin. Among other things, they'll discuss the difficulty of the minor league season getting canceled last year. Because of the pandemic and the curve and other minor league teams trying to bounce back this year. Also a reminder: tonight, Washington Nationals baseball here on this very station. The Nats hopefully <laughs> taking on the Giants. Of course, last night's game was postponed by rain. That'll be made up part of a doubleheader tomorrow. Nats and Giants scheduled for a what is it, 705 first pitch, 710? A pregame right here at 635. We're talking the Stanley Cup playoffs last segment. Vegas dispatching Colorado in six games. They win the series 4-2, move on. Also yesterday, the NHL announcing the three finalists for the Hart Trophy, which goes to the league's most valuable player. Edmonton's Connor McDavid, Toronto's Austin Matthews, and Colorado's Nathan McKinnon. Are the three finalists? Uh, no Sidney Crosby, which was kind of a uh, little bit of a surprise. McDavid is considered the front runner to win the MVP after he was just ridiculous this regular season. 105 points in 56 games. That's insane. He had 20 more points than runner up, his teammate, Leon uh Dreisaitl, who won the MVP last year. If McDavid wins it, uh, that would make the Oilers the first team with different MVP winners in back-to-back seasons since the Bruins in 1968-69. Uh, Phil Esposito won it in the 68-69 season. Bobby Orr won it the next season, uh, 69-70. McDavid won the Hart Trophy back in 2017. Uh, Finished third in the voting in 2019. Matthews led the league in goals. He had 41 in 52 games. I can't imagine McDavid not winning this award. McKinnon's teammate, uh, Kale McCarr, or Cal McCarr, is a finalist for the Norris Trophy, which goes to the uh, league's best defenseman. Tampa Bay's uh, Victor Hedman, who won the uh, award last year, and the Rangers Adam Fox—they are the finalists uh, for that award as well—and the finalists for the Vesna Trophy, which goes to the league's best goaltender, Avalanche uh, Philip Grubauer, Mark Andre Fleury, and Tampa's Andre Vasilevsky. So there you go. I see a lot of—I <laughs> see a lot of Colorado players in there, and their season's over. <laughs> the Avs have a finalist for the MVP, the best defenseman, and the best goaltender, and they just got bounced last night. The uh, finalist for the Jack Adams Award, which goes to the Coach of the Year, will be announced uh, sometime today. So there you go. List of finalists for the National Hockey League. Do I want to get into this now? We only have like four, three minutes until break. His college football story from yesterday. I'll give you a, a bit of a primer, and we'll get into it more in the next hour. It is possible the college football playoff will expand from four to 12 teams. The co- <laughs> Not just a couple teams. Ah, why bother going from four to six or four? Let's just jump. why not? The College Football Playoff Management Committee will consider the expansion when it meets in Chicago next week. Now, again, this is just a proposal. They're going to consider it. Nothing is set in stone. No guarantee it's going to happen. But they will consider it and discuss it at the meeting in Chicago. One of the big, I don't want to call it a sticking point, but the one, one of the things that stuck out is that this proposal does not include guarantees for conference champions, which I kind of thought would happen. Like any time we would discuss expansion of the college football playoff, like how do you determine how many teams you know who gets in? say well if you win you know if you're a power 5 if you win the big 10 you win the ACC you win the big 12 that you're automatically in that will not happen under this proposal instead uh, it'll be a bracket that will include the sixth highest ranked conference champions now remember not when we say rank we're not talking about the associated press poll we're talking about the CFP the selection committee their rankings So the six highest-ranked conference champs. It doesn't say just Power Five. So it could be any conference, which really closes the gap between the Power Five and what they called the next group of five, the G5, and then the next six highest-ranked teams determined by the CFP selection committee. There would be no limit on the number of teams from one conference. And no league would qualify automatically. I guess we already covered that. So <laughs> you could have a situation where you could have four teams, say from the SEC, make the top 12. No limits on teams from a certain conference and no guarantees. Even if you win, and I guess this kind of protects against. There's a situation a couple years ago where Pitt played Clemson in the ACC championship game, and Clemson blew their doors off. Pitt was seven and five. Let's say Pitt upset, because they upset him in the regular season. This would avoid having a seven and five, you know, power five champ, automatically get in. Now, the odds of that, that happening are, are very rare, anyway. But this guarantees that it won't happen at all. So I, I kind of like that, that there's no guarantees, because now, remember last year it was a big situation with, what, Cincinnati, who won the Conference USA, and people were like, oh, they should be in one of the big, bowl, you know, big games. If they're ranked high enough, then they get invited to the party because there'd be no guaranteed conference champs. I kind of like it. All right. We'll discuss this more next hour. And remember, next hour, uh, Joe Shooter and our Rush Friday feature. Stick around for that. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Before we get to my main man, Joe Shooter and the Rush Friday feature, let's one more time today rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we'll start with Major League Baseball where the Dodgers Julio Urías beat the Pirates on the mound and at the plate. And he swings and he lines it into right center field a base hit. Bellinger
2: comes in to score. Right behind him is Lux. And the Dodgers lead it 4 to 1 on a two out two run base hit by Julio Urías. RBI's 6 and 7 for the Dodger pitcher
1: The call on ESPN 570 LA Sports 6-3 the final as the Dodgers completed the three-game sweep at PNC Park. Uh, Dodgers haven't lost to the Pirates since 2018. Urias allowed three runs. I can't roll the R like uh, I can't remember his name. Who did the play-by-play for the Dodgers there? You should do it for the Pirates. before I can't remember his name. That's a shame. Anyway, I can't roll the R like he does. Urias allowed three runs on six hits in six innings to become the first nine-game winner in the bigs this season. Same can't be said for the Pirates' Mitch Keller. He lasted just two and two-thirds innings and had zero control. He walked three and hit two batters in those two and two-thirds. His ERA is now a robust 7.04. Good news for the Bucs, Adam Frazier extended his hit streak to 13 games. Bad news for the Bucs, since getting over 500 at 12 and 11 in late April, the Pirates have gone 11 and 27 and are now 15 games under 500 and 11 games out of first. So, there you go. Elsewhere, the opening game of the four-game series between the Giants and Nationals in D.C. postponed last night by rain. It will be made up as part of a doubleheader tomorrow. Game two, which I guess now is game one of this series tonight, catch the game, hopefully, weather permitting, right here. On this station, pregame, at 635. The Orioles were off yesterday. They'll open a three-game series at AL East leading Tampa Bay tonight. In high school tennis, Allegheny's Jonathan Nelson and Mountain Ridges' Rachel Jones won the Boys and Girls 1A West Section Championships yesterday. Jones beat Allegheny's Sophia Kucher 6-2 and 6-2 in the girls' final. Uh, Fort Hill's Abby Mandel and Kelly Mandel won the girls' doubles title. Nelson beat Fort Hill's Connor Nichols in the boys' final 6-1 and 6-2. Mountain Ridge's Joey Oyer and Jacob Ritchie won the boys' doubles crown. Mountain Ridge's Maddie Werner and Connor Lewis won the mixed doubles title. All the winners advanced to the 1A West Region Finals tomorrow at Boonesboro. In college baseball, a pair of Potomac State players earned NJCAA All-America honors. Infielder Graham Brown was named to the All-American third team while pitcher Brandon Schaefer received All-American honorable mention. And in high school track, the West Virginia State Meets are underway in Charleston. The Class A Meets are already in the books. They finished up yesterday. The Williamstown Girls and Doddridge County Boys won the uh, Class A Team State Championships. There were some double A events yesterday. In the boys' 3,200-meter uh, run, Uh, Frankfurt's Garrett Ferguson finished third in the event. Uh, Fairmont seniors' Logan Zucchelli was first. Winfield's Matthew Schneckenberg was uh, second. Frankfurt's Anthony Sanders finished sixth. And Xander Shoemake was tenth. In the girls' 3,200, Winfield's uh, Rachel Withrow was the winner. Uh, Frankfurt's Addie Lease finished eighth. Brooke Jacobs, 11th, and Jillian Griffith was uh, 12th. In the boys' 400-meter dash, in the Section 1 race, Kaiser's Jack Stanislavic finished second. In the Section 2 race, Seth Ernest from Kaiser finished first. In the girls' 400-meter dash, Frankfurt's uh, Haley Smith finished fifth in the uh, Section 2 race. So there you go. The majority of the AA events will be today. Hopefully, better weather than they had yesterday. I saw some pictures on the uh, Book of Faces, and it was an absolute uh, torrential downpour there at Lely Field. Saw some uh, pictures of people walking through the concourse, just massive puddles everywhere. But track and field, man, if, it ain't, if there's no lightning, they're going to do it, rain or shine. So they did it running and jumping through the raindrops. Hopefully, they won't have to do that uh, today. And that is your walk around the region brought to you uh, by the Cap Rally Group. All right, today is Friday, which means my main man, Joe Shooter has another Rush Friday feature for us. You can get all of Joe's stuff on his website, all his long-form interviews, his short forms, his two-minute timeouts, his website, two com. That's the number two MinuteTO.com today's Friday feature. Joe talks with Altoona Curve General Manager Derek Martin. It's time for
3: the Rush Friday feature with Joe Shootup.
6: I guarantee you that my guest on the Rush Friday feature will be in a much more positive mood than he would have been this time last year. Derek Martin, General Manager of the Altoona Curve. Let's take some time to talk Altoona Curve Baseball, and thank goodness it's not last year this time.
5: Yeah, we we wouldn't have much to talk about.
6: (laughs) That is unbelievable. What what a year it was. Well, let's go back to March and April last year when COVID was a train running down the tracks and picking up steam and so many cancellations and things happening. If you look back at that, it was like a nightmare, wasn't it?
5: It was. It's uh, going back to mid-March. I was actually... Getting ready to, I think it was Friday, like March thirteenth or something, and we we're following this a little bit more. I was just like, "Is this something we need to worry about here?" Because I was actually leaving for spring training on Saturday, and then everything basically got canceled that Friday, and then I was just like, "Well, it's uh, <laughs> I better cancel my air flight to go down." And I, you know, I thought it was. I was like, okay, maybe a couple-week thing. Well, it's been a long two weeks.
6: Yeah, it was actually more than 600 days until you played baseball. One of the things that people have to understand is that the cancellation was more than just the players not playing baseball, but you've got employees, sponsors, expenses for the stadium, so many things to be involved with. And explain that to our listeners, how difficult that was and a lot of decisions you had to make and then... The other question was, when is this going to end? Is it ever going to end? This is something that happens every one hundred years.
5: Yeah, this is. A, it's kind of like like at your house, Joe. It's whether you're working or not. You still have your electric bill, your gas bill, all your utility bills. Uh, th- those don't stop. Uh, but that that was honestly the least of our worries. It's we employ uh, in during the baseball season, 310 people. It's typically, we had 27 full-time staff members and then the rest were game day staff. And then you have to tell them, I was like, guys, it's, uh, here's kind of, like in June or July, whenever MLB finally canceled the season. And it was, how do we, how do we break this news to these guys? It's like a lot of our game day staff they're young kids or they are usually retired and they they count on that extra money uh to get them through and they just weren't receiving them and we had to furlough about 70 percent of our staff where um of 27 we furloughed 17 and it's nothing that they did uh but we had to uh, had to furlough them and now we uh, only three of those 17 staff members came back. So now it's a whole challenging uh, trying to get, find uh, quality people to work. Uh, and it's, uh, it's been a pretty tough situation uh, through there, but we were fortunate when the alternate training site, uh, the Pirates selected us to come here to Altoona, and that was, I think, July, August, and September, because we're fortunate we have a great relationship with the pirates we're 98 miles away so if we need to get someone to pittsburgh quickly we can do that and that that was really uh, a saving grace uh for us and our staff and kind of it it's weird where you don't think that uh, you miss hearing the crack of the bat but the first the first hit during bp and it was uh, kind of refreshing to to see because everyone was down in the dumps here, super depressed, and it kind of gave uh, uh, some positivity back into there where we're, we weren't having games come in and uh, didn't have any revenue coming in for 18 months. But it's uh, the Pirates, they helped us with some of our utility bills, some of the salaries for our staff members to, to really keep the ones that we could on board for, during that tough time.
6: Joining us on the Rush Friday feature, Derek Martin. He's general manager of the Altoona Curve. You also had to deal with, and it actually wasn't a problem for Altoona, but the whole idea that Major League Baseball was going to contract teams. Was there ever any concern that maybe Altoona was on that list? It's uh,
5: we know we have a great facility, but I'm not gonna lie that uh, that we weren't nervous about not making the 120. It's when we heard in our league that I think there were talks of Erie, there were talks of uh, Binghamton. It's Trenton wasn't even in the talks, and they are one of the teams that uh, and didn't make the 120. So it's it's always a fear into there. That uh, we were going to lose it, uh, but and that's the tough part was during that time. This was really the new regime in Pittsburgh uh, with Ben Sherrington and Travis Williams. It's we didn't have time to create a great relationship with them. They were just hearing about our tuna from past people or people that are currently with the pirates so so that added a another layer of nervousness if i would say to uh to that whole thing and then now through having the alt site it was a great time for us to be able to uh expand that relationship especially with ben and travis uh and but not gonna lie, definitely nervous through the whole thing, and still nervous about it because, with uh, even though we are part of the 120 teams, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff that we need to do to the ballpark uh, for player amenities to get it up to speed, and all of that needs to uh, be done starting at the start of the 2023 season to the 2025
6: season. We are speaking with Derek Martin, general manager of the Altoona Curve. You had a late start this year, and now things are starting to open up. But explain the difficulty you had initially with limited attendance, social distancing. A lot of fans still are a little leery about going out and and being around other people. So you seem to have dealt with that really well, and now things are going to open up. But you had a lot of procedures that you had to make sure that your staff and everyone followed initially during this first month or so.
5: Yeah, we had a lot of stuff handed down to us where, uh, not only from Major League Baseball where they had to approve all of our seating manifests and make sure that we were adhering to all the regulations and then it's on the PA state side they were putting regulations in and local municipalities we had to follow basically three different layers and for the most part it worked out well. There were some people that were very, very angry with us because they couldn't sit in their original seats uh, for May. Uh, And we had to move them some of the season ticket holders that they've always been in the first level. We had to move them up to the second level. And And it was no rhyme or reason on who was getting moved. It was honestly a puzzle that you're trying to maximize the seating bowl with what you had. And some people had two tickets, some had one, some had three, some had five. Uh, and trying to put that, the pieces of the puzzle together to maximize what we could, because our capacity, we, we can go 10,000 people here. We're reserved seats for 7,210. But we could only have 2,300 here, so it's, it's how do you manage that and, and, Try to keep people as happy as you can. Uh, where my parents taught me at a young age, it's, uh, listen, you're not always going to be able to make everyone happy, It's but treat people the the way that you want to be treated, and uh, things will kind of pan out at the end.
6: Well, now that things have opened up at People's Natural Gas Field, let's talk about some of the promotions coming up this year. And And one is, for those of us in the Cumberland area, is the, Allegheny School District weekend that's coming up and explain what that's about and some other promotions you have coming up, bobbleheads, fireworks, etc.
5: Yeah, uh, I appreciate you bringing that up, Joe. It's Maryland and especially Allegheny County is super important to us. It's, It's amazing when you run reports through the ticket system. It's a lot of our fans attend from Allegheny County. And we recognize that, and we want to celebrate that. So we've been doing it for the last few years uh, that we carve out a weekend to give, uh, basically, Allegheny. We partner with the school districts down there, and they send out flyers and stuff, and we give them discounted tickets because uh, we love having them come here. They're great, uh, very passionate baseball fans. Uh, this kind of a split with, uh, pirate and Oriole fans, but, uh, uh, then, uh, they, it, this is a close place. It's very affordable and that's, uh, and we saw that and we like celebrating with that. And it's honestly, we have June 11th, 12th, and 13th is the Allegheny County of Maryland weekend. Always a pretty rocking weekend here, and hallelujah, we're back at 100% capacity. Everyone's back in the original seats, Uh, and it's mass-wise. You do what you're comfortable with uh, here in the ballpark.
6: The other great thing is a lot of people take road trips, and I'm sure you've had people who've said to you, I travel around the United States and go to ballparks, go to minor league parks, major league parks. And the great thing is with the accessibility with i 99 It's a great, easy trip, and there's a lot of other things around in Blair County. But I think a lot of times people who live in Blair County don't appreciate this. Like everything else, people in their own area sort of put it down. It's an attraction for people to take road trips, isn't it?
5: It is. There is a lot to do in Blair County that people are not aware of. And one thing that we've really learned during the canceled season last year is the economic impact that the curve does bring. Uh, to our region, uh, whether it goes to hotels, it's if you haven't been to the Horseshoe Curve, Fort Roberto. There's a lot of state parks around, and downtown Altoona. It's amazing what they're doing down there, uh, and they're basically revitalizing the whole downtown. There's several breweries that came in, lots of different restaurants that are popping up, and it's uh, and everyone's doing a lot of work because it's uh, it's. It's a great destination place now.
6: The other thing is not only do you have baseball, but you have events when the team is not at home. And I think we have the July 3rd Curve Stock. Now you're saying that all the hippies and old people can still come out. Is that how it works? <laughs> of course, at what, what, Woodstock, what, there's 20 million people now claim that they went to Woodstock, even though there were maybe like 500,000. So explain what that's going to be about.
5: Yeah, so that's our our staff got together. And I was like, "Listen, what what does everyone like to do? We like to listen to music. It's the highly attended games are usually when we have fireworks, and it's oh, let's put two and two together. We're not unfortunately, it's been a long time since we weren't home on July fourth, and the community really enjoys our Fourth of July fireworks show, and we honestly. Don't want to disappoint the community. It's through people I talk to, and I know you're the same way. It's where this really got inspired from Our our sales staff talking to everyone, and there's still so much negative energy out there. And I was just like, listen, I'm... I'm sick of the negative energy. Let's put a positive community event out there. I will, it's our staff will get the sponsorship dollars to keep the tickets very affordable and for a, a fun day at the ballpark where you're going to have music. We're going to have a large 4th of July fireworks show on July 3rd on that Saturday because not everyone's going to uh, honor and close their businesses on Monday. Uh, so it's just, let's do it on Saturday, so people still have Sunday to recover, uh, to go back to work on Monday, and let's uh, let's really have fun and put on a great positive environment. And to me, it's uh, I love music. Uh, we love seeing stuff blow up in the fireworks, and and we're gonna, we're, hopefully, it's we're gonna have five to six thousand people here for the for that day to of really just a fun celebration and really to celebrate our freedom
6: so final moments with Derek martin general manager of the altoona curve now once the season is over and and this year a little bit later september the 12th you also have an event after the season is over
5: yeah we got it's uh sometimes you get lucky uh and we got a phone call from a uh, concert promoter and there's a rather large country music group uh, called old dominion i think they were got a cmt award for the uh top group in 2020 uh and so we're going to be hosting an old dominion concert here on saturday september 18th uh so it's going to be be a lot of fun it's uh, uh old dominion is the headliner then there i think there's three other uh three other groups that will be playing uh, there as well, and uh, tickets for that uh, you can get them right from our website there, and it's uh, it's going to be a fun event. Uh, I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a great event here at the ballpark. It's definitely by artist name. It's going to be one of our largest uh, concerts that we've ever hosted here.
6: Well, once again for those people who were stuck in the house for a long, long time, a great attraction, People's Natural Gas Field. Uh, I can tell you from over the years. As a matter of fact, uh, I grew up. About a half a mile from the ballpark uh, in Lakemont, and it's just uh, the Altina Curve has been just a tremendous, tremendous facility. It attracts a lot of families, a lot of fans, and have a really great time. One of the things I always ask those who I interview is to relate a funny or bizarre story about something that happened. And uh, I gave you a couple of days to do that. So, Derek, I'm hoping you're going to come through.
5: <laughs> I-, I will try my best to come through. There's a lot of stories. <laughs> that goes on and the kind of the history of baseball it's back in the day there are a lot of pranks <laughs> that go on in the locker room and we try to bring some of those up to uh uh to in the front office because we spend a lot of time here so you try to have fun but this one kind of backfired on me uh so it's we started off with uh, we have interns that that help us through the year uh, and they get college credits, get a get a small stipend, uh, uh, and then those that are interested to, to kind of, is this what I want to do for a living? Is this what I don't want to do for a living? Well, we started off with going to an intern and frantically saying that I lost the keys to the batter's box and I can't find them anywhere. So then he was just like, well, I can help you. I was like, perfect. So he jumped right on it. Uh, so then he was like, where were you at? I was like, last we had to put the tarp on the field. I don't know, maybe it was like, maybe somewhere around the field. Maybe groundskeeper. Then groundskeeper was in on it. And then he was, like, I did see them, but I I had to go to Lowe's after the tarp. So then sent him off to Lowe's. And so we called the general manager at Lowe's to let them know that this person coming through. So. Then he went to Home Depot. He went to five or six businesses and then came back. You know, did you find them? And he was just like, no, no one. Everyone kept sending me different places that they saw them, uh, but didn't have it. I was like, "For the keys to the batter's box. And this kid played baseball in college. So I figured he would get it, but he still did not get it. Well... Ended up, everyone started laughing, and I was like, "Hey, you just got punked." Uh, then uh, he handed in his keys, and <laughs> he resigned from his internship. Uh, so it wasn't the ending that we were looking for, but it was. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, but it was that was one of the most bizarre stories and uh, kind of entertaining. But at the end of the day, it wasn't very entertaining because we had the uh, he
6: did not want to work here anymore finally what do you see as the future of the altuna curve
5: we're doing
6: our best to try to keep things
5: as as our mission statement states it's we want to provide family entertainment at an affordable price a lot of things are changing through basically mlb taking over the the minor league system but the one thing that won't change is externally what they're going to see it's we're going to still provide the uh, affordable family, fun entertainment. And there happens to be a baseball game in the background. We're going strong. I think uh, right now we have a lot of momentum. A lot of people are excited. We've had some crummy weather in May. I think it's warmer in March. Uh, but it's, it was amazing how many people were still just sitting around during the drizzle and during the cold. It just goes to show that people are excited to get back out. Uh, but it's, uh, the curve aren't going anywhere. We're here to stay. And uh, we're, uh, I think the future is very bright uh, with the entertainment and with the baseball with the Pirates. It's, uh, they have a great farm system. I think they're now ranked in the top five of farm systems all in all of Major League Baseball. So it's pretty exciting to see the future stars in Pittsburgh here now, too.
6: Allegheny School District weekend coming up Friday, June 11th, Saturday the 12th, and Sunday the 13th. Derek Martin. Thanks for joining us on the Rush Friday Feature. Best of luck to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: The College Football Playoff Management Committee will consider expanding the current four-team field to 12 when it meets in Chicago uh, next week. With more on that, here is ESPN's Heather Dinich.
3: It guarantees a spot for the highest-ranked group of five conference champion in the playoff before that spot was reserved for New Year's Six Bowl. Under this proposed plan, you're talking about the highest-ranked six conference champions. There's only power five five Power Five teams, right? And by doing that, you also start to subconsciously sort of break down that language that branding between power five group of five now we're talking about six conference champions and by the way Oregon would have been tough out of luck last year at number 25 as the Pac-12 champion so it doesn't guarantee spots for conferences It doesn't put a limit on conferences but it does Preserve the integrity of the regular season, and it does place an emphasis on conference championship games, which some people thought the the current system started to get away from a little bit.
1: So it's very key what she said right there, that conference champs are not guaranteed a spot in the 12-team expansion. There's no automatic bid like there is in college basketball the highest ranked six conference champs remember the the cfp committee the selection committee puts out their rankings every week leading up to the playoff so in a situation last year where she mentioned Oregon was ranked 25th and all the hubbub was about Cincinnati being left out what is is it i get confused are they the aac or the or conference you i think they're aac right the american conference If this expansion was put in place last year, Cincinnati would have been in the playoff and Oregon would have been left out as a Pac-12 champ. It's the highest-ranked six conference champs, no automatics, which I think is big. And then the six highest-ranked other teams after that, after the conference champs determined by the selection committee. There would be no limit to how many teams from one conference can get in. So get used to, if this goes through, seeing three, four SEC teams every year. And again, this is just the beginning stages. Nothing is set in stone. They're going to consider it next week. It won't happen anytime soon. But at least it's getting talked about. Because, you know, for years there was no playoff. You know, you had the polls and you had the BCS and all that stuff, and then we got a playoff, and that's not good enough because it seems like it's the same four teams. And how this expansion would work is the four highest ranked conference champs, again, as determined by the selection committee, they would be seated one through four and receive a first-round bye. Teams five through twelve would play each other in the first round on the home field of the higher-ranked team. So home field advantage in that first round. I like that. The quarterfinals and semifinals would be played in bowl games, and the national championship would be at a neutral site. Also under this proposal, even if Notre Dame is the number one team in the country, it cannot get a bye or be seated higher than number five, being punished for not being in a conference. They could be the number one team. The CFP, the selection committee come could come out and say Notre Dame is the number one team in the country, but they'll be seated fifth because they can't be a conference champ. Take after it what it's worth. Now, again, this is just a proposal. Even if they consider it next week and they say, all right, this is a great idea. Let's do it. It's not going to happen for a while because uh, CFP exec director Bill Hancock said that the playoff will not expand this year or next. The current 12-year agreement with the four teams runs through the 2025-26 season. Hopefully it doesn't last that long. Hopefully, because I like the 12 teams. I do. I like that expansion. I like involving more teams. I'm shocked they're jumping from four to 12 and not going four to eight. But if they had gone to eight teams, guess what? Eventually, it would have gone to 12. So let's just, <laughs> let's just jump right to 12 and cut out, you know, the years of eight teams. I like the fact that no conference champ gets an automatic bid. Because you could have some bad conference champs and again I talked about this in the last hour you know a couple years ago Pitt played Clemson in the ACC title game. Pitt was 7-5. and five. Had they upset Clemson like they did in the regular season you know if, if, if a conference champ got an automatic bid then you'd have a 7-5 and five team making the playoffs. Now that's rare. Chances are The winners of, you know, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, they're going to be up there in the top three or four. Maybe the ACC, if there's a Clemson there. Pac-12, that's always sketchy. But I like there's no automatic bids. It puts a little more emphasis on a regular season, especially the conference championships, because you want to be seated high. I like it. I got no problem with it unlike uh, Mike Wilbon. You know, a movie's not good enough. You've got to have eight sequels, and all eight of the sequels stink. Well,
2: this stinks, because now you're talking about having to win three games or four games to win a national
0: championship. And on top of a 12-game right. season, you could be talking 16. Right. Now you're talking the NFL. And so these people yeah. who give you, yeah. we care first and foremost about your know, health and safety.
1: Once again, that's a lie. And it always is, Tone. You don't need that much football. Not that much. Much. I appreciate the, the the notion of
0: including more teams and more conferences and the little guy and having Cinderella. This is way
1: too much. Did he just say too much football? That's, I don't know, I don't, what? Huh? Look, if you're worried about the health and safety of the players, if you're worried about the college players playing 15, 16 games, then cut out some of the garbage non-conference games they played being in the season. Cut out the payday games where you know Clemson plays the Citadel and Alabama plays Western Kentucky. Cut those games out. Now, the one... I don't want to call it a complaint, but I guess the one con to this expansion is that there may be teams, they might be a little more scared to schedule tough non-conference games because if you lose those games early, you'll drop in the selection committee's rankings. So you could lose like two non-conference games. If you lose two conference games, you're sitting with four losses. If you're sitting with four losses, you won't get ranked high. So even if, again, in a case like Oregon this past year, you might be sitting there winning the Pac-12, but you're ranked 25th. So that might scare some teams away from scheduling tough games out of conference. Aside from that, I don't see an issue. You're worried about him playing 16 games, cut off a a crappy, useless non-conference game. You know, one non-conference game was a warm-up then get right into conference play. Or two non-con games, then right into conference play. And and we're only talking about 12 teams, though. It's not like every team is going to play 16 games. We're only talking about 12 teams. And obviously, after the first round, You'll have half those teams gone. So you're talking about two teams who make it all the way to the final who will play possibly 16 games. And again, that could be alleviated by cutting out you know, a non-con game here and there. I like it. I hope it gets some traction. I hope it gets some legs. And it keeps moving forward. I, I, I like the expansion. Get more teams involved. Get the little guys involved. Get these smaller conferences involved, make their regular season, make their conference championships worth something. Hopefully, we'll have some positive news coming out of that meeting uh, in Chicago next week. All right, uh, one quick break and then back to wrap things up here on the Morning Rush. Stick around, WCMD.
0: is the morning rush.
1: And I hate to wrap up the week with with such a uh, on a, such a serious tone, a, a downer note here, but it is worth mentioning. Uh legendary Michigan head coach Bo Schembechler. You see this? Being accused by his son and two former players of basically looking the other way when complaints of abuse were made against former team doctor Robert Anderson. Matt Schembeckler was joined by former Wolverines Dan Akwajkowski and Giovanni Johnson at a news conference yesterday in Michigan to share their stories. Akwajkowski played offensive tackle at Michigan in the late 1970s. Johnson was a receiver in the early 80s. Both men said they talked to investigators about being molested by Anderson but made their identities known publicly for the very first time earlier this week. With more on this story, ESPN's Michelle Steele on a Sports Center yesterday.
3: A larger-than-life statue of Bo Schembechler stands outside the hall that bears his name on the University of Michigan campus. For how much longer is an open question as more abuse survivors of Team Dr. Robert Anderson come forward, survivors that now include Bo's own son, Matt Schembechler.
0: My father sent me to Dr. Robert Anderson for my first physical exam, Around 1969, I was in the fourth grade, but what Dr. Anderson did made me uncomfortable. He fondled my genitals and conducted an invasive rectal exam with his finger. When Bo got home, I told him what happened, and that did not go well. I tried to tell him repeatedly, but my effort earned me a punch in the chest.
3: Matt Schembechler alongside two former Wolverine football players, Daniel Kwiatkowski and Gilvani Johnson, and their attorneys held a press conference to spotlight what they allege was a culture of abuse at Michigan. Johnson said he reported Anderson's behavior directly to Bo, who he said would even threaten players with trips to the doctor.
2: Only now do I realize how crazy it was to threaten rape as a way of motivating players to work harder.
0: Bo knew. Everybody knew. It's hard. To share this story, but I hope that in doing so, I can bring some peace and justice to some of the other survivors.
3: Today's press conference comes exactly one week after Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh defended Bo Schembechler's record saying, quote, nothing was ever swept under the rug.
0: He wasn't there in 69. He doesn't know about this stuff. He don't know what I went through.
3: The University of Michigan released a statement that reads, in part, we condemn and apologize for the tragic misconduct of the late Dr. Anderson. The school adds that they are committed to resolving victims' claims. According to a January court filing, there could be more than 850 victims. I'm Michelle Steele for ESPN.
1: Now, Matt Schembeckler also said yesterday that, quote, Bo believed no man is more important than the team. Dr. Anderson was part of Bo's team, therefore he was more important than any man, end quote. Glenn Schembeckler, Bo's son and Matt's brother, who is 10 years younger than Matt, says he doesn't believe Matt's story. He said if Bo had known that Anderson was sexually assaulting patients, he would have put a stop to it immediately. Now, he did say he could not refute the claims of other players, but said he didn't think Bo was aware that Anderson was doing what he is accused of doing. Now, it is worth noting that Glenn and Matt Schembeckler haven't spoken to each other in more than a decade. Also worth noting that Matt Schembeckler sued Bo and the university in 1999 over a dispute over sports memorabilia. Kwiatkowski said yesterday that. When he told Bo Schembeckler about the sexual abuse, a uh, Bo told him to, quote-unquote, toughen up. And again, here's this Anderson doctor who, there are over 800 claims of sexual abuse and sexual assault while he was at, over 800. Sound, this, this story sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds, now, here's the difference, here's the difference. What went down at Penn State, the alleged cover-up, Joe Paterno was still alive. Beckler died in 2006. Anderson died 13 years ago. So neither can be held accountable for any of this. We really don't have an opportunity to hear from them. So, you kind of, like a lot of times in these situations, you're taking people's uh, word for it. But here's a situation where you have two sons of Bo Schembecker. One says that Bo knew about this stuff and let it go. And the other son says there's absolutely no way. So now you're kind of having to sit here and kind of sift through everything and try to determine, you know, who's telling the truth and who isn't. But you got these players coming out now, and again, you have the over 800 lawsuits claiming that Dr. Anders, this doctor, did something wrong. I don't know, man. That's a lot. All I'm saying it's a lot. A lot of times, in situations like 800, not eight, not 80, 800. That's a lot of smoke. When usually you have that much smoke, there's some fire. Question is, did Bo Schembecker do anything to put that fire out? I have a feeling we'll have more on this story coming down the pike sooner rather than later. All right, show's done. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Amanda Mangan, Tri-State Today, is coming up next. I'll be back Monday, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see ya.